Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And that's the joy of being a freelancer is you don't have to work nine to five, but then you might be working 9 p.m. till midnight instead. So it's about having those boundaries and accepting that your schedule is going to be a lot more fluid. Hey there, welcome back to the Freelance Friday podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Got a very exciting interview for you all today, but before we hop into that, as always, I'd like to take a second to read a review. So if you haven't yet reviewed the show, I would appreciate it so much if you did that. It helps other people discover the show and it is a free way to help support the show and it means a lot to me. So this one comes from Taylor Hudson, who is the owner of Tailored Social, tailored as in how you spell her name, (laughs) super cute. So she says, informational and empowering. Latasha's knowledge has been so helpful as I begin the process of starting my own company. I love her message that there is room for everyone and really appreciate all of her honesty. Everyone can learn something from this podcast, even the quote unquote experts. Thank you so much, Taylor, for that very kind review. I definitely believe that there's room for everyone, and I'm so glad to hear that you've been taking some value from it. So yeah, that's the review of the week. No major updates on my end. I'm just super excited to hop into this interview, and I really hope that you enjoy it. As always, go ahead and screenshot the episode if you want. Tag me in your stories. Tag Jen as well. She's Jen M. Choi on Instagram. Let us know that you're out there listening, and let's hop into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Freelance Friday podcast. Today, I am chatting with Jen Choi, a communications consultant, writer, content creator, and digital nomad currently calling Berlin home. Jen has been an MC at a TEDx event, has been featured by the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center, and has a YouTube channel that I am just a little bit obsessed with. (laughs) I am not only very inspired by Jen's entrepreneurial journey, but I also know that communication is something freelancers can often find challenging, so I knew she'd be a great fit for the show. So thank you so much, Jen, for taking the time, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Latasha. This is such an honor. I have been admiring you online for a while and I just uh, have a little bit of a girl crush. (laughs) (laughs) It's mutual. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on. I'm really excited to chat with you. So to kick things off, can you take a minute just to tell the folks out there kind of what you do and how you got started in your business? Yes. And I wanted to say also thank you for the very lovely intro. I see somebody (laughs) has been reading my website. Doing my research. Always doing my research. (laughs) Um, So so what I do right now as a communications consultant is I help companies sound more human. So as a communication consultant, I specialize in communication strategy, in storytelling and in messaging. 
um, because there's a lot that you can do in communications. Um, and some people ask me, do you focus on internal communications or external communications like marketing? And I tell people I really focus on both. For me, it's all the same because what you're trying to do is reach your audience, whether your audience is employees in the case of internal communication or it's customers in external communications. Um, so yeah, being human is very much part of my brand and it's what I offer to my clients. Very cool. No, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that, uh, the di- kind of the difference or, or the relationship between internal and external comms because they are so similar in a sense that, yeah, your ultimate goal is to reach your audience. So whether that's internal or external, I think it's really important to have the skill set to be able to do both. So how did you get started in that area? What, what's, what's your journey been like? Oh my goodness. <laughs> how, how long is your podcast? Honey? <laughs> you gotta, you gotta brew yourself a cup of tea because this is going to take a while. Um, no, I'll try to give you, I'll try to give you guys the cliff notes uh, version. So um, what a lot of people don't know is that I started off as a scientist. When I was in college, I was a biology major and I was absolutely convinced that I was going to be a veterinarian. Why? Because I loved cats. And that was my main motivation for being a veterinarian because we had one. And then I realized, oh my God, this is actually really hard and I don't want to do this. (laughs) So then um, sometime in college, I realized, hey, maybe I could do research. So for three years after college, I was literally a cancer research scientist, which was a really good pickup line at bars because then I could sound cool and smart. Um, so yeah, I did that for three years and realized that my personality and my desire to talk to people and really work with people one-on-one wasn't so suitable for the lab. Um, and so I wanted to work with people in 2010, um, while I was thinking about doing a career switch, uh, my dad and mom were both at the hospital at the same time. And my company also laid off 40% of its workforce, including me, which I thought was like winning the lottery because basically I got to be with my parents in this very difficult time. Unfortunately, I lost my dad in 2010. But what I did gain was more clarity on what I wanted to do. And I decided to become a project manager at a biotech company. Um, So I've had a very unconventional career path, actually. So I became a project manager I leveraged the skills that I had working with people in the lab, managing projects in the lab. Um, And I did that for a number of years in corporate, was really successful, but then realized at some time point that what I really loved about project management was communicating things, communicating things, messaging things, telling the stories influencing people, influencing the people on my team to succeed at projects. And so I was also uh, on the side as a development opportunity, leading a communications team for fun. Um, This was part of the company for us to develop our skills to help um, communications in the department. And the pains in the department for the communication were so large. And I was so frustrated that I actually asked my department head, if there was any headcount to be a communication lead for my department. And they said no. And I was shocked. And it was then that I realized that there is a gap 
in many companies, there's just not enough communication resources or people don't realize that they have communication problems. Um, so I left to start my own communication consultancy. And now the company that I left is one of my biggest clients. That is amazing. I I love that. And I think that we're hearing about that more and more. Like the more people that I speak to, I am hearing that a lot of them are able to transition out of full-time work into, you know, working as, um, get, getting that full-time employer as a client. And I think that's so smart. And I think it speaks to sort of where the world is going when it comes to freelancing and online business and entrepreneurship and all that. So that's very, very cool. So how did, how did you even approach that? conversation was that something that you always knew you were going to do or was it just kind of a spur of the moment sort of decision I think I always wanted them as a client because something uh like a piece of advice I have for people who are thinking about freelancing or becoming a consultant for example is one you really need to know the pain of your customer I mean Mm -hmm. in this case I knew very intimately the pain of my my target customer because I was inside the company um So if you know the pain, then you're in a really good place because then you can empathize with them. And everybody just wants to be heard and wants to be understood. So um, with this, I had um, actually pitched to my department that I had left some months later after I left. And nothing came of that, actually. So I put it onto my uh, LinkedIn. I wrote a blog about my transition and a former colleague who I had uh, worked with in another capacity, said, hey, she reached out via email. Hey, Jen, I heard that you were freelancing now and you were doing communication consulting. Would you be interested in speaking to this other department about a project? And that's how I landed my first project. It was totally by um, marketing myself and also leveraging my network, but also really knowing the pain uh, that I was going to solve at this company. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I love that. And so you talked a little bit about what exactly a communications consultant does. Can you give me an example of some of the maybe types of projects that you work on for your clients? Yeah, there's like uh, there's really a range. So, for example, if there is a new technology. um, So right now, one of my clients is uh, the IT department of a very large uh, pharmaceutical company. And so um, I've pivoted, you know, my background in healthcare to helping, for example, healthcare clients and tech clients now. So uh, in their IT department, There is a new multi-year program, a suite of new technologies. And so that is leading to change within the organization. Um, It's changing the way people are doing things. And so I help design the communication strategy for that. Um, Who do we talk to? When do we talk to them? What's our messaging? How do we make this thing sound human? Because I actually think A lot of the problems that companies have, whether it's internal or external, is they have a hard time translating technical jargon into something that actually means something to um, their audience. And so that's really what I do. I think of myself as a translator. What is the thing that they're trying to communicate? Is it something technical? Is it a change? What is it? And I help them translate that into communication materials and a strategy so that it can reach their audience and at the right time. 
Yeah, that's that's one of the best tips that I've ever heard is to eliminate the jargon. And I think that's so important to sound like a human. That's something that I'm still always like challenging myself to be better at in my business too, because when, when we're living and breathing, you know, marketing or whatever it is, um, it or whatever the industry is, it's so easy to get caught up in that and just assume that the rest of the world knows what the heck we're talking about and knows why it matters to them. So I think that's such, such a great tip is to, if you can just first step, eliminate some of that jargon, it makes such a huge difference in helping your clients understand why they need you and, and why your business matters to them. Absolutely. The technical jargon is something I really have beef with because, well, once I was a, I used to be a scientist. That was a lot of technical jargon. Then I, then I'm in IT and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> even more jargon. And what, what it does for the audience, um, you know, customers or employees or whoever the company is trying to reach is it makes them feel dumb if they don't know the acronym, and it also makes them feel disconnected. What you want to provide in communication is cognitive ease. You want it to be easy for people to understand things. And in fact, some of my clients, when they write things and I rewrite them, I'm like, dude, would you actually say this out loud? Like, could you please read this slide to me out loud as you have written it? And if they can't even pronounce what they've had on their slide, if they can't even say it in one sentence without falling over and losing their breath, then they need to change it and make it simpler. Um, so that's usually a good rule is, can you say this thing out loud? Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. I love that. So how did you get from, so you're from San Francisco originally. Um, how'd you get from San Francisco to Berlin? Oof. I... <laughs> feel like I have had a love affair with Berlin since 2014. I had visited and just fell in love with everything. Um, my mother was an artist, but she, well, my mother was many things. She was a computer scientist, an artist, and a teacher. So clearly Apple <laughs> doesn't fall too far from the tree. Um, and what I love about Berlin was that it reminded me a lot of her art in the sense that she she just loved creating art and Berlin gives people a space to create. There are a lot of writers here, a lot of freelancers, uh, people working on films or photography or whatever. Um, and so I fell in love with it. I had always wanted to move here. So that was 2014. But my mom, although my dad died in 2010 of um, lung disease, my mother had cancer. Uh, she had blood cancer, a type called lymphoma. And because of that, I, I couldn't really go too far from home. And I didn't want to. She was okay, but um, I just wanted to be close to my family. So unfortunately, in 2017, her blood cancer took a turn for the worse. Um, actually, right before I was supposed to spend a summer in Berlin, and I ended up not coming. And everything happened so quickly. She passed so unexpectedly. Um, and after she died, I just wanted to start over with a new chapter in a space where I could create. And uh, that was the time for me to come to Berlin. And now I live in Berlin, Deutschland. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, kind of a side note, too. But, you know, I your parents sound like amazing people. And oh, I, thank you. Yeah, they do. And, and I, you know, I love how openly you've, you know, written and spoken about grief. I think it's 
been really refreshing. And so I just wanted to say thank you for that because I recently lost my father. And I think it's something that you just don't fully understand until it happens to you, you know? And I think it's just something that people don't talk about enough. I, I really do. And I think, um, you know, reading some of the things that you've written and listening to you has really helped me. So uh, I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you. And I'm yeah. so sorry for your loss. You know, we are both a part of a club we never signed up for. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult, but there's a lot of us out there. Yeah. Um, and I think talking about grief publicly has made me realize that um, there's a need for a community of mm-hmm. us, um, especially if you think about millennials and stuff. It's just not cool to talk about grief and not a lot of young people have lost their parents yet. So I think that's a gap that um, can be filled. And uh, that's what I hope you and I can both do is change the public conversation on grief. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's important. And I think it it's true, you know, what they say about social media and Instagram being like your highlight reel. That's true for all aspects of life, including grief. <laughs> it's like, I'm so open on the internet, but I still feel some some hesitation, you know, to talk about that because it is kind of still so taboo and still sort of looked down upon. So yeah, I really appreciate the people who are doing it. Thank you. Yeah. So you moved to Berlin, and that's kind of where you call home, but you still do call yourself a digital nomad. So you still travel a lot, right? Yes, I still travel a lot. And that's actually part of the reason why I became a freelance consultant is because um, I really didn't want to only have three vacation weeks a month. I mean, a year, sorry, a month. <laughs> Who has three vacation weeks sign a month? Sign me up for that. I, sign me up. I need to go back full-time in-house <laughs> or something. Um, but, you know, I felt really constrained. And so I love to travel. I think it's wonderful to meet new people, understand different cultures, discover that we're more the same than we are different all over the world. And so because of that, Um, I like to travel a lot. Um, And so I've been to 36 countries now and I am constantly, uh, you know, trying to explore more and work at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think that doing that, you know, freelancing and traveling kind of full time or, or a lot of the time at least is a big goal or a big dream for a lot of people. But when I sit down and think about the logistics of it, it kind of scares me a little bit. (laughs) So do you have any tips for managing travel while still, of course, getting your work done and, you know, staying in touch with your clients and communicating that to your clients? Do you have any advice? Wait, I need to ask you because I'm a consultant and I love (laughs) to hear my clients' needs. What scares you about traveling and working at the same time? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think just so the logist, like the, yeah, like the logistics of it, you know, am I going to have internet access? I do a lot of, you know, uh, content heavy stuff. So I have to upload videos and podcasts for clients. So I need not only internet, but like good internet. Oh Uh, yeah. (laughs) That's important. And I guess, I guess that's really for me the major thing. Also, just being sensitive to my clients' needs too. I mean, for the most part, as a freelancer, I'm sure it's probably the same for you. You're you're not necessarily required to be online like 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. or anything like that. But if there is some type of an emergency or something where my client really needs me, I worry about well, what if I'm on a plane or a train and oh, they're yeah. unable to reach me? Yeah. 
Uh, okay. So a couple things. So one, I always ensure that I go book a place with good internet connection. So that could be like an Airbnb. I make sure that they have Wi-Fi, or I make sure that it's a hotel with、um, Wi-Fi as well. And a lot of the day, instead of going to a co-working space, if I'm on the road, I'm actually in the space that I book. So I'm usually in a hotel or I'm in、um, an Airbnb, for example. Um, so that solves the connectivity issue. The other thing is not technical. The other thing is boundaries. So for me, what used to be difficult for me traveling and working was setting healthy boundaries. Like, when do I stop work and when do I start enjoying myself?、Um, and at the same time, when I'm working, how do I not have FOMO and believe that I should be at the beach sipping a margarita instead? You know, like <laughs> I, you have to draw the boundaries and say, okay, I'm a freelancer and. For me, at least, I have global clients. So my clients are based in Switzerland,、um, uh, San Francisco. I talk to people in Madrid, Spain, and so because they're based all over, I really don't have a set schedule, and that means that some nights, if I'm traveling and I want to be out at dinner, I'm not. I'm working,、um, and so. Logistically, you just have to one ensure you have to have good internet connection. But secondly, really be mindful of your boundaries. And I think this applies not just to traveling digital nomad freelancers, but freelancers in general. You have to accept that you're not going to be working nine to five anymore. And that's the joy of being a freelancer is you don't have to work nine to five. But then you might be working nine p.m. till midnight instead. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's about having those boundaries and accepting that、um, your schedule is going to be a lot more fluid. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. And like you said, that is so applicable to not just digital nomads, but all of us. I think, I think a lot of us, and you know, one of the things that I personally love so much about freelancing is the fact that I've been able to work with so many clients from all over the globe. I think all of my biggest clients are not in America, actually. <laughs> so wow! Yeah, yeah, and it's amazing because you know I get to learn different cultures and、um, travel sometimes and do cool stuff. But it can also serve that challenge of you know the time difference and and everything. So so yeah, that's great advice. I love that. So your YouTube channel documents a lot of your life, kind of as a digital nomad and as a traveler. And before that, I know we actually met in an app that I don't even think exists anymore called Whale, <laughs> <laughs> which was like the most fun app for like a month of my life. Yeah.、Um, for for those listening out there, it's kind of like almost like Vine, I guess. It was short videos that you can make, and it was a very small community. And yeah, that's how I started following Jen, but. What made you decide to start telling your story online? Wait, hold on. Let's take a <laughs> let's take a moment. Let's pour one for the homies. R I P whale. I know. You were great. You were great while you were alive. We met a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It was、miss、a good you, miss you, miss yeah, you whale. <laughs> yeah, it was a good app for like seriously. It was like a summer or something that I had. It, it was sad. <laughs> um. Oh shoot! I was so thinking about whale. I was so so much thinking about whale. I forgot what the original question was. Yeah, I got caught up. <laughs> It's okay, caught up in the emotions. I know. Oh yes, oh yes.、Uh, no, what made you decide to start telling your story online and getting involved in like these apps and YouTube and Whale and all that kind of stuff?、Um, to be honest with you, at the time when Whale kicked off. 
uh, I was going through a, a really heartbreaking breakup and I was just so sad. And I, I don't know, whale came about because my friend sent it to me and I had never even done videos before. Literally for the, like I had not done videos before, like period, publicly oh. at all. Whale was my first experience. And what made it interesting for me was that it was just a minute. Um, you, that's not a lot of commitment, just a minute video. Um, well, we're not going to tell everybody or we are going to tell everybody that it actually took 30 minutes to create a one minute video, <laughs> but okay. Um, and what I liked about it was that you were helping people directly. So um, people would ask you questions, you know, about communication, about travel, and you would answer them in a one minute video. So it was a Q&A. And so I felt like I could directly help people. So I was inspired to tell my story because people were asking about it. And I felt like it was a really good way to connect to people, obviously make friends like you, Latasha. Um, and so I really felt that sense of human connection through video and that's what's inspired me to go on video. Now um, I'm back on video. I took a hiatus because after my mom died, I just, I just really didn't want to be on video. And then I just started my YouTube because I think that video is a great way to tell your story, to share advice, um, and to connect with people. And it's scalable. Um, so my motto for 2019 is do scalable things. I want to do things that create impact and I want to do things that are scalable and video is super, super scalable. Love that. And that's so funny that you said that whale was the first time you were on video because I thought you were like a video person, you know, when I, when, I, when I first saw your videos, I was like, oh man, she's good. Like, so yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I guess that speaks to what you do. You clear, clearly are very good at communication in general. So I think that can definitely translate pretty easily over to video. Well, thank you. Well, here's the thing. And this is advice for all you freelancers out there. You can fake it until you make it. You just keep going, keep up keep it up, keep trying, keep being consistent, prototyping. And one day people are going to think you're an expert at something. And that's pretty much what happened with Will. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. I totally agree with that. I, that's like the motto of my life. Fake it till you make it for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. But we, we life designers like to call it prototyping. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's a more mm -hmm. elegant term. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> prototyping, prototyping. Yeah, cool. So um, going back a little bit, I guess, to, I know you were talking about client boundaries. And the question popped up while you're talking about that. How do you recommend avoiding over communication? Or I guess over communication while still staying connected to your clients? Because I know that's something I feel like I can really struggle with sometimes is as a freelancer, you know, it's not a nine to five job. You don't have a manager watching over you knowing that you're doing your work all the time. And so sometimes I'll feel like I need to report on everything I do or I don't know, just over communicate. Do you have any advice for like um, times to check in or how often you like to check in with your clients or how often you recommend having FaceTime with clients? Ooh, I mean, it really depends. So regarding FaceTime, let me address the FaceTime question first. So FaceTime is critical when it's things like workshops. So typically when I onboard a new client, um, unless I know them personally already, I will try to make an effort to do it face-to-face -face, um, and go to uh, create a workshop where I understand their needs, address their gaps, 
um, take a look, take a stock of everything and then design communication strategy from there. So I, I think it's actually very important in the beginning to have that FaceTime because that FaceTime builds trust. For those who work remotely like I do, video is actually pretty good, although nothing replaced being in a workshop and then grabbing a drink or dinner after and hearing about their family because really humans just still want to connect in this day. And I think those relationships are really important. Um, now, beyond the uh, face-to-face, um, it really varies between clients. If it's a big project, then I meet with them on a weekly basis, for example. But if it's just, um, you know, 10 hours a month or something, then we only have one meeting, if even a month. But what is important, I think, in being streamlined in communications and being strategic about communications is having emails that really outline what you need. So for example, I have a new client and I work with her on this basis. Okay, June is upcoming. What are the deliverables for this month? What do you need help with? And then she'll list a couple of things that she might need help with. And then I, as a communications consultant say, given my expertise, here's where I think we should focus on next. And then we agree on the deliverables. Um, There are email exchanges back and forth, but for example, my clients don't usually text me or they certainly aren't going to be, you know, pinging me on Instagram, like, hey girl, like comment, like, (laughs) like my photo and be like, hey girl, what about, you know, that blog edit, you know, they're not doing that. Like, like it's very clear boundaries. I set that with my clients. If you work with me, this is how you can contact me, usually email. Um, of course, they can have my text in emergencies, but it's rarely, let's be real, it's rarely ever an emergency. I'm mm-hmm. not a doctor, right? <laughs> um, so have clear channels for your communication, whatever your preferred are. Some people use Slack, for example, um, and that's great for their client projects. So find use Slack. Choose whatever channels they are and then set clear boundaries there and then um have your expectations clear from the beginning. And then that helps prevent, you know, too little communication and too much communication, I think. Yeah, perfect. That's that's great advice. I, I think it all does start at the beginning, right? And setting those expectations, I guess. And yeah, setting expectations for, you know, frequency of communication, channels of communication. Oh my goodness. When I first started, I... I didn't know that, obviously, when I was first starting. <laughs> nobody does. Nobody yeah, does. It's nobody, okay. <laughs> nobody thinks about it. And I guess I just, you know, assumed, especially because I was coming from the corporate world, you know, in the corporate world, everything happens over email or maybe Skype. Uh, so I just assumed people would email me and people were texting me. And I was like, oh, my goodness, how do I fix yes. this? So, yes. yeah, <laughs> definitely important to... Uh, to have that expectation set at the outset rather than having to like fix it and have that awkward conversation with a client after it's already been happening. Yeah. Cause you don't want to be resentful and you mm-hmm. don't want them to be resentful. You don't want them to be like, Oh, I can't reach her. Or you don't want to be like, you know, you don't mm-hmm. want to be like, Oh my God, my client is harassing <laughs> me. Why won't they stop and give me my life back? You know? So yeah. you really have to set those boundaries from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned getting to know each other, uh, kind of, you know, knowing about your family and getting to know each other personally too. Do you have any thoughts on that for when that isn't necessarily possible to, you know, run out for happy hour with your client if you're across the globe? Are there any ways that you do still facilitate kind of more personal relationship with your clients that are far away? 
Yeah, I mean, I really take time to listen. Like, if you're on a virtual meeting and you can't meet in person, um, I think it's really important not just to understand their needs as a business or as a company or you know uh, the person hiring you, but also as just a person outside of the work. You can always ask them like. So what do you do outside of work, or what led you to create this company? Uh, for example, if I'm working with a founder, um, mm. or what what led you to um, you creating your career? Like, tell me about it. And then if they mention something like family or dog, I always follow up like, oh, how's your dog? Oh, send me a picture. I think there's definitely ways that you can foster a relationship even through virtual means, if you can really take note and pay attention and genuinely care about their lives. And you want to care about your clients. You don't want to treat them as just another dollar or euro or yen or whatever currency. (laughs) You don't want to treat them as just, you know, a number and invoice. Like these are people that could potentially even be your friends. And so I think it's absolutely possible to foster the relationship. And also, Uh, Another way to get to know each other on a more human level is, you know, if they're comfortable, um, I wouldn't recommend this for everybody. It's on a case-by-case basis, but maybe there's some channel of social media that you can connect on. LinkedIn is usually quite safe because LinkedIn is still quite professional. Um, You know, you're not going to be talking about your love life on LinkedIn. So that's a good boundary set channel to still stay connected and get to know somebody a little bit more, but outside of your client relationship. Yep. Yeah. I love that. You mentioned LinkedIn as being kind of a, a safe one. Cause it's always, it's always awkward knowing if you should or shouldn't connect. I know for me, when I work with freelancers, I try to let them connect with me first because I don't want yes. them to feel like I'm like, you know, being big brother and trying to watch every move that they're doing. But when they connect with me or, you know, if they follow me on Instagram, then I'm like, okay, cool. That's totally fine. And it kind of starts the relationship that way. So love that tip. Yes. Let them decide. Yeah. (laughs) Make the request first. Let them decide. Yeah, for sure. That's always so awkward. (laughs) So in regards to your business, um, do you feel like besides the whole Wi-Fi thing, which we talked about, that you have a, a good strategy for, do you feel like there's any challenges that you face when it comes to growing a business as a digital nomad that maybe those folks out there listening who are interested in, in that lifestyle might want to know about? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously it's life and there's a lot of challenges of life inherently. So as a digital nomad in regards to work, um, it can be lonely. I mean, if you're on the road a lot, you're not with your friends and maybe you're apart from your significant other. Um, Like my boyfriend and I uh, have a semi-long distance relationship. We're going to close the gap soon. But it can be kind of lonely if you're just working by yourself. I think this also applies to freelancing, but it's even more pronounced when you're in another country. And when you're in another country, maybe you don't speak the same language. Um, Things are just culturally different. So it can be a little bit isolating. Um, So how I solve that is I try to make friends. I try to get introduced through friends of friends. I'll go out. um, I'll try to network a little bit. Um, or go on online communities like um, Reddit, for example. Mm. Um, There's just a lot of online communities. So for example, a really robust community online is Girls Love Travel. Um, It's a travel community for girls. And 
you can basically show up in any city and say, hey, girls, like I'm in London. Like, I don't know. London, there's a lot of people. Let's name something more obscure, like Kathmandu. I'm in <laughs> Kathmandu. Uh, any other uh, Girls Love Travel people out here? Um, and so you can really leverage that online community to find somebody in person and feel a little bit less lonely. So that's one, you know, potential issue. The other one is um, you just, you know, the thing about self-discipline. That's challenging. You're just going to have to find that healthy boundary and um, really be super disciplined when it's a sunny day outside um, and all you want to do is go out, but you can't, <laughs> can't be at that castle. You got to be home working. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's another challenge. Um, other than that, I don't think actually selling or growing a business remote is any more difficult than being in person, seeing as how so many things are online now and how you can market yourself all over and have global clients. Yeah, yeah. And I love Girls Love Travel too. I'm in the the Facebook group. I haven't used it in that way where I've actually met up with people in real life. But anytime I travel somewhere, I just search the group and, you know, with the city name and I get so many amazing recommendations of things to check out and things to do. So Definitely recommend that resource for any traveler or anyone who wants to um, become a digital nomad, for sure. And I actually think it probably is a bit of a benefit, too, when it comes to, you know, taking clients from all over the globe and having that sort of cultural understanding and being able to communicate effectively and all of that. I feel like that's honestly kind of a selling point to be like, oh, I travel all over. And um, I know that's something that's helped me, too. Uh, working with clients from all over, they they tend to like that and and know that I can do it again if I've done it before. So I think it can definitely be a selling point for you. Absolutely, because you and I are both marketers, right? And marketers, what we do is we understand people's motivations and we try to understand what their customers' motivations are, what their audience's motivations are. And so if we're used to travel and we're used to empathizing with different cultures Mm -hmm. and breaking down those barriers and really trying to get to know people and connect with people, then that definitely makes us better marketers. So huge selling point. So you need to put that on your website. (laughs) Yes, I I should. I should. I love it. Okay. So uh, we talked about the YouTube channel. So where else can people find you online? So people can find me at um, all over online at Jen M. Choi. That's J-E-N-N-M-C-H-O-I. So I'm on Instagram right now. That's public. And actually, I would love for anyone listening to please follow me there. Because right now, um, I'm also a writer. And what I'm working on right now is a writing project for 100 days. It's called hashtag 100 days real human. And it's a writing project in which I am exploring what it means to be a real human. Like, literally, I write about my fear of abandonment, about grief, about burnout, about feeling not good enough, all the stuff that's like ugly on the inside and beautiful on the inside, all of that. Um, I'm writing about that right now because I think in this digital age of social media, as you said earlier in the podcast, people are really curating their lives and they're just putting their highlight reel. And what I'm trying to do is say, okay, but here's all the other stuff that a lot of people are afraid to talk about because they're trying to curate a perfect image. And my thing is we're not perfect. We're all real humans. So that's where you can follow me on Instagram at Jen M. Choi. Uh, you can also follow me on YouTube at Jen M. Choi, on Twitter 
at Jen M. Choi everywhere. Jen M. Choi at jenmchoi.com as well. Amazing. I love it. Cool. Well, Jen, this has been super, super informational for me and very interesting. And you guys should definitely check out Jen. She makes amazing videos. And like I said, she's a great writer. So definitely check her out on social and on her website. So thank you for being on. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Yay. Yay. We finally connected. (laughs) Yeah, finally connected. And I'm looking forward to connecting with more real humans out there. Yes. Thanks again. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of the Freelance Friday podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to let me know. Rating this podcast is a huge help. And you can also tweet me at a journey east with comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes. Lastly, make sure to join my private Facebook group, Money Making Micro Influencer, if you're interested in elevating your influence and taking charge of your personal brand. There are so many like-minded, bright individuals in there, and it's a place I love to offer up free advice and a little bit of extra fun into. You can find it by searching Facebook for Money Making Micro Influencer. It'll also be linked in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.